Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters, and joining me today are Dave Baxter, Deputy Personal Finance Editor of Investors Chronicle, and Ben Seeger-Scott, Head of Multi-Asset Funds at Tilney Group. If you're a long-term investor, an area you probably can't afford to ignore is emerging markets. But if you have exposure to this high-risk area, it's important that you're aware of what is going on in these markets and that you access them in an appropriate way. So Dave's been looking at what's good, what's bad and what's ugly about emerging markets. (laughs) Dave, how have emerging markets performed this year and uh, how does it compare to other major global equities markets? So on the face of it, they've performed very well. If you look at, uh, for example, the MSCI Emerging Markets Index and its year-to-date returns as of today, the performance returns are up more than 14% in sterling terms, which is huge. But put that in context of how well equity markets have done this year, and emerging markets are actually behind most other regions. So they're behind the UK, Europe, Japan, and of course the US it's interesting because they were tipped, as they often are tipped, to be like one of the big performers this year. And um, that just hasn't really come through. And if you look on the longer term, they're now lagging other markets over 10 years. Um, That's not very good sounding. So, <laughs> I mean, are emerging markets still a good option for long term growth? It's an interesting argument because um, I guess in recent years they've disappointed investors but there is a quite clear case for them. Um, you know, there's strong economic growth in some countries, good demographics, um, reform in some areas, which might help. You know, a counterpoint if they haven't done well in a particular year is often, you know, you need to take a longer term view on this. But what's interesting is some commentators this year have started to uh, turn away from this view. So in the 2019 issue of Barclays uh, Equity Guilt Study, which looks at various investment trends, they are now arguing that the case for EM and its advantages is essentially exaggerated and is not going to sort of outperform as much as people think. Okay. And um, has the broader performance of um, emerging markets been reflected in the funds that invest in them? Yes and no. So you've um, you've had some funds uh, lose money, you've had some funds struggle, but equally, as is always the case, you've had some winners. Um, and some funds this year are up by more than 20%. So you can still do well if you pick the right things. Which funds have beaten the markets? So yes, yeah, good question. There's, uh, for example, JPM Emerging Markets has done very strongly as an investment trust, Genesis, which has um, got very good returns. Uh, Threadneedle Global Emerging Market Equity, Bailey Gifford Emerging Markets Leading Companies, um, really plenty of names that have uh, given very strong returns. Okay, and um, perhaps an even more important question is, um, how are emerging markets set going forward? Yeah, it's... um, It's always difficult to forecast, isn't it? Um, And as I mentioned, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) if only we could do that. Mm. As I mentioned, you know, this year or or a year ago and in previous years, it's been tipped as an outperformer. This year, again, um, some people believe it will do well. Um, But there are some decent reasons to perhaps be more optimistic about emerging markets. Um, So this year... One of the big factors has been people have been very concerned about global growth, about it slowing down, potentially as hitting a recession. Now there's an argument that um, 
that growth is stabilizing, um, which should perhaps feed through into emerging markets. Um, you've also got this idea of developed markets increasingly considering using fiscal stimulus to boost economic activity. If that happens, that could again feed through into emerging markets. And another interesting argument is um, about the US dollar. So some believe that with loose monetary policy, you could have the US dollar weaken. And there are plenty of reasons that that can essentially aid emerging market performance. Okay. Um, ben, how do you think the emerging markets are set going forwards? And um, do you think it's an asset class that's uh, still an option for long-term growth investors? Well, I, I think the, the key to the question there is is the second half. Long-term investors, I, I think undeniably, it's a very attractive uh, asset class, but it is volatile and that's what you need to remember. And I think some of the, the, the points that Dave was just talking about re-emphasises it is an interesting area. Uh, it can do well, but you need to remember it's not always guaranteed to outperform. It can lag. It has a number of or the, the region and the asset class, sub-asset class has a number of challenges specific to emerging markets. They suffer when there's a strong dollar. Not only does that tend to, to push emerging market currencies down, but a lot of emerging markets are very sensitive to global trade. And because the dollar is the international trade currency, an expensive dollar makes it that much harder for, for these emerging markets to operate. That said, as, as everyone knows, and you've highlighted already, these areas have very strong growth potential. You know, they, they account for already a reasonable slug of global GDP, and certainly they account for a lot of GDP growth. I think the challenges we have as investors, though, is that you cannot buy GDP directly. Everything that we try and invest in is is a derivative thereof. And there is not necessarily a very strong correlation, particularly in the short term, between the potential for earnings growth and GDP. And, you know, obviously, we've seen that this year. It's also not 100% clear that domestic emerging market companies will be the main beneficiaries. Big global multinationals, for example, can benefit from the emerging sort of middle class and affluent classes in emerging markets. So I certainly think on a long-term basis, um, if you can tolerate the high level of risk that comes with emerging markets, you should certainly consider some allocation in your portfolio. I think you do need to be conscious of the higher risks, though. So it's not a case of just buy emerging markets and you'll be fine. I think it makes sense as a high-risk part of a broader portfolio. Okay, so what are these risks? So the risks are manifold. As I said, firstly, it's not necessarily clear that companies in the domestic countries themselves will will be the main beneficiaries of, the, of, of this growth. You also tend to have less developed institutions in these uh, in these areas there is also and it it is difficult because you n- need to remember emerging markets is such a, a broad church you have lots of different countries so on the one hand i don't want to generalize on the flip side typically they tend to have slightly uh, less robust political and institutional processes companies are at risk of say nationalization you tend to get more frequent regime change. And in parts of emerging markets, minority shareholders don't have the same level of protections that they have in in developed markets. Okay. Now, as you and both Dave have said, you know, the term emerging markets actually encompasses a really broad collection of very different countries, regions and continents, um, not to mention various industry sectors. So, are there any areas that look like better options at the moment that maybe you should opt for or bearing in mind risk and diversification to mitigate it should you maintain a broad general exposure to emerging markets? 
My preference is generally to use broad exposure using a highly experienced manager. As you say, you can choose sort specific regions. It can be difficult to target individual countries. Larger countries, uh, particularly the likes of Russia, China, and India, you can get direct funds. But I think you've got to have a very strong view on that region, and because individually these countries make up a very small part of the of, of the global market, buying those countries specifically. Does give you quite a heavy tilt. My preference would be to go for a good active manager. One of the challenges you have with finding active managers,、uh, in my view, is you need to have depth of resource because to to really find good companies, you know, as we said, global emerging market is a huge area. To have the resource in the ground to find those good companies requires you to generally have quite a large research team. And I think whilst、uh, smaller managers can do well, they tend to be a little bit more specialised. Also, if you've only got a couple of guys or, or, or analysts looking at the region, you can sometimes miss some of the transition points.、Uh, and, and in my experience, those groups with larger resources they're much better at seeing a coherent picture build up from the grounds.、So、they talk with management. They start to identify these challenges coming down the line sooner than if you're just looking just a couple of people looking at some Bloomberg screens. So my preference is to use. Larger groups that are well resourced, and they can do that tactical asset allocation. So they are much better placed, in my view, to to take、uh, a particular stance, overweighting particular countries, underweighting others. So that that's my preferred approach. Okay, and what would be examples of、um, some funds run by these large, well resourced groups?、Uh, so one of my favourite funds is the Fidelity Emerging Markets Fund, run by Nick Price. Very high quality fund, very well resourced.、Uh, he has a lot of picks. More recently in China, but what's most interesting, he had a little bit of a tough 2018. But that's why you need to take a long-term view, and that was because if you look at the makeup of the market, what really helped there was Chinese tech companies、uh, that were a little bit growthy, a little bit punchy, but there are clearly some warning signs over those. And as the market has rolled over, he's had an exceptional 2019、um, so far、uh, in what has been already a, a pretty. Reasonable market. So you look at the returns on the market and the extra return you can get from high quality managers. Then I, I think that is that is a very good place to be.、Um, others, there's the likes of Somerset Emerging Market Dividend Growth. The name suggests equity income, but in fact it's much more of a total return mandate run by Ed Lam, looking for quality exposure. So effectively a sustainable return on equity, and that's what I think a lot of investors want.、Uh, it, Not necessarily the volatility of the broad market, the swinging around. It is finding good companies you can hold for the long term and really compound up each year that return.、Uh, the only other area I'd highlight, and it's it, it's a slight odd one. When I said I go for broad market exposure, not going to go too much off topic, but I think you can look at emerging markets. But the, almost the the sister allocation would be to Asia Pacific, which is half emerging markets, but roughly half、mm. developed as well. But then you tend to have much stronger intra-region trade, and, and it's much more cohesive、uh, as a particular region. So there,、uh, a fund I particularly like is the Schroeder Asian Total Return Fund, run by one of my favourite managers in the whole industry, Robin Parbrook and King Fui Lee.、Uh, very good fund. Again, Schroeders have. A lot of resource on the ground, but also the fund is run more with a total return mindset. So when they find good companies, they then make a decision on the broader backdrop, and they have a number of tools to try and protect a little bit on the downside. So again, a lot of emerging markets is about finding good companies, but also finding ways to potentially mitigate some of the falls that, that typify the region. 
Okay, thank you, Ben. Some great suggestions. And see this week's Investors Chronicle for Dave's full roundup on the prospects for emerging markets. It's impossible to know what will happen in markets, or anything else for that matter. But it is possible to get an idea of issues you might have to contend with in the near term if you've got a good knowledge of an area that you're dealing with. So Dave's been talking to a number of fund managers on what risks and what opportunities might present themselves to investors over the year ahead. Dave, an area that's been facing some of the greatest uncertainty, but is likely to form a significant part of many of our listeners' portfolios, is UK equities. So do UK equities managers think that there'll be any more certainty next year? Uh, Given recent events, you'll perhaps be unsurprised to hear that yes, they do. Um, Although there are some caveats that we need to... uh, consider. Uh, so there's the idea that with um, Boris Johnson having kind of secured an initial deal or support for it, um, and now having got a, a majority, we have perhaps a greater level of certainty around what's going on in the UK. Um, to counter that, uh, some of the comments made by managers um, firstly came you know, before things got a bit rockier again, when the government signalled that there could still be a kind of cliff edge Brexit and we, we saw Sterling retrace mm. those gains they had made after the election. Equally, some such as Line Trust's Mark Martin uh, warned that there will still be what he refers to as political wrangling. Um, so perhaps we have more uncertainty or more certainty, sorry, but we're still going to get uh, some of those ups and downs as we see the, um, I guess, finer details of what's going to happen. Okay. Um, and um, did they think there were any sort of like good opportunities among UK equities? They've pointed out some themes. So one idea is um, heightened merger and ac- acquisition activity. Um, so now you've got some greater kind of confidence in the markets. Investors will come in, will buy some more UK companies. Um, one uh, suggestion is that you'll see some more kind of internationally focused companies getting snapped up um, because perhaps they have a slightly more certain outlook Mm. in the future. Um, I guess a broader theme as well, um, perhaps you'll have to decide how to play it, but is um, the concept of kind of fiscal stimulus that I mentioned earlier. The UK is um, one of the places where the government seems kind of open to this idea of spending more. Although it'd be interesting to see what extent this comes to because recently the Office for Budgetary Responsibility warned that um, the government could actually end up kind of breaching its its targets even before it turned these spending taps on. Now, you spoke to some global equities managers who arguably have a more objective view on the UK than UK equities <laughs> managers. So what did they say about the UK? I think it's fair to say that they're cautiously optimistic. Uh, so James Thompson is a global equity manager at Rathbones. Um, He said that he is starting to warm to the UK, but he hasn't reached boiling point yet. Um, The premise here is that hard Brexit might be off the table, but the UK is negotiating with the EU. um, And Mr. Thompson, you know, puts it that they are the world's best negotiators. The EU, no, yeah. Yes, yes, not the UK. Mm. Yeah, absolutely Um, not, no. We'll we'll, we'll see. Uh, Um, Uh. So uh, there may still be some knockbacks Mm. and challenges, and that could um, cause difficulties. Okay. Um, Ben, um, now that we know the outcome of the general election, uh, do you think the prospects for UK equities are a bit clearer over the year ahead? Um, yeah, I, I, th- I think that's a bit clearer is exactly right. I think to, 
to talk about certainty, I think mm-hmm. that is, is a word that we're just going to ditch and probably not come back to <laughs> yeah. for a long time. Certainly as regards UK equities. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. But actually, I, I take I take the reverse view and, and I, I like uncertainty because my view is uh, investing is really about embracing uncertainty. You get rewarded for that uncertainty. If you have certainty, often you'll find it's all in the price and then the only way is down. So I think what the, the, the view I would take is we've moved from a period of acute uncertainty, the idea of a potential disorderly, um, hard, no deal um, Brexit. Now the outlook with a government with arguably stronger negotiating position, given the size of the majority, it could be harder or softer in terms of Brexit, but at least we have an orderly Brexit. Uh, and I think on that basis, there is this case that some of that pent up demand, we've seen a lot of businesses holding back investment that's hurt in the short term. There is a case that some of that pent up demand gets released. The fiscal stimulus, again, when you have very supportive monetary policy in the short term, could provide a boost as well. So I think that the the relaxation of that acute uncertainty into broader uncertainty, particularly when UK equities look pretty attractively valued on many measures, both compared to their own history, but also compared to the rest of the world. I think that makes the outlook compelling. But as you highlight, there are still risks out there. The most recent legislation introducing that secondary cliff edge at the end of uh, end of 2020 reminds us that nothing is certain. But I think there is much more uh, of a case of being able to muddle through. And that's where I think we are. That's where I think there are attractive opportunities in that muddle through scenario, embracing more normalised uncertainty rather than the acute challenges that we've had. So certainly in the portfolios that I've run, we, we've turned or have been turning increasingly more positive on the UK in recent months. Okay. Um, but what about the risks? I mean, obviously, risk is certainly not off the table. Um, you know, so it, with UK equities, um, you know, what, what, what do you need to, let's say, be aware of and prepare to take on? Well, of uh, of the sort of known unknowns, mm. ignoring all of the left field events that inevitably actually mm. impact markets. Of course, it's around the global economy and trade, not just the UK's trading relationship uh, and how all of these the, these trade deals work out. Obviously, that is very important in and of itself. But the UK as a very international market, you know, some two thirds of profits come from overseas. If you look at uh, a UK sort of all cap index. So the UK as a risk on market is very sensitive to the broader global economy. So even excluding Brexit related issues, if, for example, we see a reintensification of the US-China trade war, that has global impact and that in turn could impact an international trading market such as the UK. We also need businesses to start reinvesting. And I talked about pent up demand. The problem is if you're a business and you are looking to do some capital expenditure, you look at the background that uncertainty, it could be difficult for, for some of that to, to get away. If you look at business confidence, it's still quite low. And if business confidence is low, they tend not to spend out on increasing wages, on building new plants and, and really addressing some of the productivity challenges that we have. And that's, I think, one of my key concerns. What has propped up UK economic growth over the last couple of years has been the consumer. Obviously, wages have been growing pretty strongly. Retail sales have been solid. Consumer confidence has been high. The data over the last few months show that starting to dip. Retail sales are falling. Consumer confidence is starting um, to, to slip. We need business confidence to come back up, hopefully, on the back of some of this resolution of short-term term uncertainty. 
But if that doesn't come through and businesses start to sort of retrench and go into a siege mentality, that is not good for the economy and that's likely, I think, to, to be a drag. So those are some of the, the key risk factors I'm keeping an eye on. Okay. So um, presumably an investor can tolerate these risks and, and the risks that equity exposure generally entail. Are there any particular areas or types of UK equities that, you know, will be better options for uh, having um, in your portfolio? Um, I, I think it comes down to having the, a blend of active managers with slightly mm. different styles. I wouldn't necessarily say any one style will win out o- over the others. Uh, if you are talking in terms of style, I think there's been a lot of talk recently about growth versus value. Uh, and Growth stocks have had a natural tailwind, particularly when you have monetary policy stimulus, so very low interest rates, quantitative easing. That tends to benefit growth stocks and value's been left out a little bit in the cold. I think that the, the separation between those two styles looks a little bit stretched. And as we see uh, yield curves starting to steepen a little bit, so longer term interest rates are now moving higher than shorter term interest rates, that can be an area that benefits more value orientated managers. So I'm not calling a change in style leadership. I am suggesting though, if your portfolio has been very heavily tilted towards growth managers, maybe now is the the time to to redress that. And certainly as I look at my portfolios, we've had a lot of growth exposure for the last couple of years. Now I'm looking to moderate that from what was effectively a sort of 80-20 split now to closer towards 60-40. Okay. And um, what sort of um, value managers or or kind of like different types of managers are you... um keen on at the moment? Well, here's a problem that we have these days in the fund world. And I think because value has had such a Mm. tough time, frankly, they've struggled for the best part of a decade. It means a lot of traditional value managers have either shut up shop and gone, or they've moved from being value managers to much more pragmatic, which has eventually meant changing their approach to a more growth orientated outlook. So there, there are, unfortunately, across the UK and actually across Europe and many parts of the world, we don't have access to as many value managers as we used to. Um, when I look at my portfolios, we take the likes of J.O. Harambro UK Dynamic, that's a sort of multi-cap uh, approach, a little bit more value orientated, a little bit more contrarian. I dovetail that with the likes of Lion Trust Special Situations, so Anthony Cross and Julian Fosh. Multi-cap, very good fund, quality companies, uh, a willingness to hold cash and really take on a total return mandate. And, and if they you know, can't find opportunities or they think the market's looking a bit punchy, they'll hold a little bit more in terms of, of cash until they see better opportunities. So I think those sort of funds work very well together. Other areas, you know, even load income. So income naturally tends to have a little bit more of a value tilt. Even load income is actually more of a total return mandate than an income mandate, but it does talk about their mentality, quality, multi-cap. And even though it's a UK fund, it will invest globally as well. So a a small proportion, but still a proportion of the portfolio can take advantage in some of those areas. And if you are looking for something a little bit punchier, something like Telworth, UK smaller companies can be very interesting as well. The fund only recently launched at the end of 2018, but it's run by Paul Marriage, who is one of the most successful mm. fund ma- managers in the UK and UK small cap, you know, um, got his name at Schroeder's. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's the sort of spread that I have. But hopefully that gives you an idea of how I'm blending all of the different styles to try and, and outperform in the UK. OK, thank you, Ben. Some really useful suggestions. 
an area that growth investors uh, cannot ignore, in addition to, um, I suppose, emerging market equities, is also US equities. But whether and how to get exposure to them has been a difficult issue over the past few years for reasons including their seemingly high valuations, the possibility that they're near the end of a good run and might come crashing down any moment now, and the fact that many active funds fail to beat benchmarks such as the S&P 500. That said... It's still an area of interest that you should pay attention to. So, Dave, um, you've been um, speaking to US equities managers. What do they think lies ahead? Is it as gloomy as I make it? <laughs> um, perhaps not as gloomy, but um, I was interested that Ben used the phrase muddling through mm. about the UK. I think that's probably a good summary of how some active managers currently feel about what lies ahead in the US in, in 2020. So, for example, take Cormac Weldon, a um, you know fairly renowned US equity manager at Artemis. On the one hand, he worries that business confidence is going to be fairly weak next year as the election campaign rumbles on. He's also not sure that Donald Trump will be making huge concessions in the trade war ongoing with China. So that could create some volatility. Um, but on the other hand, he thinks that the US uh, consumer, which obviously is a big element of um, the economy, um, will remain fairly resilient. So he sees things kind of trundling on, um, but perhaps not really giving any sort of spectacular performance. Okay. And um, as I said before, um, global equities managers perhaps have a, a more rounded view <laughs> on things. So um, are they still allocating to the US and what do they think? So one example is to uh, return to James Thompson, um, the one I mentioned earlier. He has a very big weighting to the US. Um, it accounts for something like two thirds of his funds. He believes that the election and elections in general can be quite good for market performance. Um, he thinks that the US and China both just want to get the trade war done. Um, so that should be quite good for markets. And, uh, you know, he makes the argument that US companies are still growing their profits a lot more quickly than companies elsewhere. So he's fairly positive. Ben, just bearing in mind all this, should long-term growth investors have an allocation to US equities? I'm a firm believer in all investors having a globally diversified portfolio, so it won't surprise you that my answer is, is yes. But specifically on the US, uh, I, I think... A lot of people can be quite negative on the US. The valuation argument is deployed quite a lot and it does hold a lot of water. I think it's also important to remember, though, that the US has very strong earnings growth potential of developed markets. It is It generally has the strongest GDP growth at the moment. Earnings growth remains robust and the outlook is strong. The US is a market and an economy that tends to get its act together very quickly. We saw this coming out of the global financial crisis. It took the pain very quickly. It recapitalised its banks and it helped. That helped kickstart economic growth much more quickly. And there is an argument of, of how much you should pay for that strong earnings growth potential. And I do take the, the, the argument that valuations look stretched. And that's probably my main concern at the moment. So depending on the, on the measure that you look at, it looks potentially some 20 to 30 percent overvalued compared to history. But against that, you do need to remember that when you have very low interest rates and monetary stimulus, that does support higher valuations through technical uh, as well as sentiment channels. When you have low interest rates, your discounts that go into all of the models naturally pushes up the, the value of that company. And at the same time, if you think about risk premium, so essentially that is the return you get of equities over fixed income, when fixed income is so low, 
then it does make even what would historically be considered not great returns look relatively attractive. So I think there are lots of reasons to be positive on the US. At the moment, though, I, I think that there are also reasons to be tactically cautious. It's not to say don't buy the market. It is the largest market in the world. It accounts for 60 plus percent of, of the MSCI world. So I think all investors should consider having it for most times in all but the most extreme scenarios. It is important, to, I think, to have ex- exposure to the market. It does come with some some currency risks, but I think it's an area that it is difficult to ignore, even though if the mo- at the moment it looks like it might have a few headwinds. Okay. And I mean, other than currency, as you just mentioned, what, what are the other risks that um, you incur by investing in US equities? Well, I mean, as, as Dave highlighted, there is the risk that the trade war that seems to be being done and proceeding. We've got the phase one deal. One assumes that is the prelude to more. But as we saw in 2019, it is very easy for that to come unstuck. We've seen miscommunications between two sides at the 11th hour result in a reintensification of the trade war. And, you know, unlike how what, what President Trump tweeted initially, trade wars are not easy to win. They are wars of attrition that isn't going to benefit either side. So even though all of the alignment of interest seems to be to get a trade deal done, it's very easy for that to get derailed. There's also the fiscal element. Arguably, in a presidential election year, you sometimes get fiscal stimulus try and generate a feel-good factor on the doorstep. But taken more broadly, we haven't got any sign of that yet, obviously, in, in terms of the, the US government. There, there are mixed houses. That makes it harder to get legislation through. And that big fiscal impulse from the, the reforms at the uh, end of 2017 were a big boost 2018 into 2019. But those are really starting to fade now. And that, that impulse could start turning into a drag next year. So there are lots of reasons potentially that that things might not be as rosy as they have been, but you should never discount the US market because that's a mistake I think a lot of people have made repeatedly uh, and it can be uh, it can be difficult. So how should you get exposure to US equities? Well, you you hit the nail on the head earlier. It is a very difficult market mm. to uh, it's considered very efficient and it's difficult for managers to outperform. It's certainly difficult for them to consistently outperform. And that's what we look for in a lot of managers. And I think there is a strong case to go passive in the US. Um, I think where active management does work is where you have a particular style bias. So I think often just buying you know, a cheap tracker, say, you know, the, the one that I tend to use is the Vanguard S&P 500. You sit ETF for income. I use the, the Spider S&P US Dividend Aristocrats. And for a bit of value, I use the Invesco Raffi US 1000. So you know, very cheap exposures, automated in an efficient market. But where I use active managers, one area is is with the, the strong growth style. Uh, so Loomis Sales, US equity leaders, this, has, uh, th- this uses uh, a lot of very detailed analytical work. It's bottom up. It has a sc- almost scarily robust and detailed due diligence process to identify good growth companies with long-term strong return potential and low turnover. So if you want that strong growth uh, tilt, that's where I think an active manager such as these guys can help. But also in value. So I think that there's a fund called Conventum Lyrical. It is sort of deeper value. It is very volatile. You know, I, I hold it in my funds and every month it tends to be at the top or the bottom uh, of the performance list. So it is it is worth keeping an eye on. That said, in aggregate, the, the, the highs at the moment tend to do better than the lows. So it has been performing, but it is very volatile. But I think if you do want to find proper value style investment, 
those are the sort of areas that I would use an active manager for as well. Okay, thank you, Ben. Some great suggestions. That brings us to the end of today's show. But have a look at this week's Investors Chronicle or the website at investorschronicle.co.uk for more fund manager outlooks on areas including US, UK, European, emerging markets and Asian equities. Also see our reports on the prospects for bonds and the ways to access them and some key changes at a major UK equities fund. Thank you for listening and have a great Christmas. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>